Good morning. Thanks for being with Rick Bonfin Ministries again this morning. I'm David Nutter. It's uh, my privilege to be sharing this morning from the Word of God. It's always a privilege to get to share God's Word. Amen. And today we're going to be looking at <clears throat> Zechariah for a little bit. This message we're calling God Remembers the Prophet Zechariah. I've been uh, reading First and Second Kings during this season, as I've shared in some earlier messages, and it's been a great, fruitful season. And I encourage you, as you read First and Second Kings, to also perhaps uh, flip over to some of the prophets. Um, I'd actually read through the prophets earlier in the year and thought I was moving on to other things, but as I got into First and Second Kings, God led me back uh, into the prophets some, but that's not how I really got in back into Zechariah for this message. <clears throat> I've also been reading in the New Testament the book of Revelation, you know, maybe a chapter or two at a time, and um, when I got to uh, the place in Revelation uh, where there are the four horses of different colors, and I didn't even bother to look at it today because it's not the main point of this message. It just caused me to remember that Zechariah also had horses with colors. And that's just sometimes how the Holy Spirit goes with me. And it was a seemingly a total rabbit trail. <clears throat> but I flipped over to Zechariah for a minute to look at the passage about the horses. And God blessed me in it. And what seemed like a total rabbit trail ended up being the heart of this message, really. Praise God. So, Zechariah, it's all these people, their names mean something. Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. Oh, there's something to that. And uh, I find when I'm out there talking to people out there in the world, I often use their names as an entry point to talk to them because most people, their names mean something. And I don't think there's a whole lot of accidents uh, when uh, parents name a child. Uh, there's a purpose behind it most of the time. And I find that it can be a good conversation starter. A lot of people don't know the meaning of their names, and uh, it's easy to find on these phones now. So, uh, Zechariah, God remembers. Let's take a look at <clears throat> Zechariah, beginning at chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying... So, apparently, this is 520 B.C., and Zechariah is being used by God to exhort, along with the prophet Haggai, in the rebuilding of the temple of the Jews that have returned from the exile from Babylon. The uh, Persian king Cyrus has let them return to the land, and they're being exhorted to complete the rebuilding of the temple. Verse 2, uh, this is uh, the word that came to Zechariah. The Lord was very angry with your father, speaking to Israel. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. That's always true. I was reading <clears throat> in Jeremiah just the other day at uh, somewhere around chapter 26. He intercedes for the people of Israel and he gives a message to one of the kings that it, it's at, uh, one of the last kings of Israel. It's at the 11th hour. If even now you would return to the Lord, he would return to you and you would be preserved. And sadly, they wouldn't do it. But the message of the thief on the cross has always been true. God is willing to change his mind. Uh, that is in the Bible. And you think, well, that doesn't fit into my theology. 
Well, I pray that it fits into your prayer life, whether it fits into your theology or not. God says that we can cause Him to change His mind, that He can repent of an action if we would repent. And that's what He told Jeremiah. Tell them if they return to Me, put away their other gods, I'll repent of the calamity that I prepared for them. In the name of Jesus, I think it's uh, Jeremiah 26. And uh, that's a, a prayer of intercession. So here is the word Zechariah, verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Chapter 1, verse 2. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give, give heed to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. God told them in Deuteronomy, Choose life, but if you depart from my ways, you will be uh, overrun by the enemies of God and they will spread you all over the world and uh, you'll be dispersed. And that had come to pass in their lives. And uh, the word of repentance is a constant theme throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament. One of the first sermons Jesus pre- preached is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so when I read those kind of things, I ask God, give me a repentant heart. God, is there something I need to repent of today? Something that I need to turn away from? God, have I let false gods intrude into my life? False ways intrude into my life? It's very easy in this culture for us to drift and be led astray. And things that can seem not to really matter that much can mean matter a lot to God. So I ask God to reveal to me the high places in my heart as I read through First and Second Kings. Even the good kings, often they didn't remove the high places in Judah. Oh, God, show me the high places in my heart, that place where I think I'm worshiping you and doing right by you, but it's not really pleasing to you. God, would you reveal that to us so that we would remove the high places from our lives and from our hearts, that we would serve you in purity in the manner you want us to serve. Verse 7, on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, as follows. I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse. Wow, and I believe the red horse, the man riding the red horse is the Lord Jesus Christ. I think the, the red horse is representative of God's judgment. And the blood of Christ receives God's judgment for us. Amen. The red horse in Revelation is uh, the judgment of God going out in war and uh, that sort of thing. Here, the man's riding the red horse. That's Jesus, a foreview of Jesus. And he was standing among the myrtle trees, which were in the ravine, with red, sorrel, and white horses behind him. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth, perhaps angels. So they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is 
peaceful and quiet. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, with which you have been indignant these seventy years? Isaiah and Jeremiah had prophesied that the exile would be seventy years. And uh, in this vision, in this word that Zechariah is getting, He's saying, the 70 years are up, Lord. And the Lord answered the angel who was speaking with me with gracious words, comforting words. So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am angry with the nations who are at ease, for while I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Again, proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My cities will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Hallelujah. God is gracious. Then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, there were four horns. So I said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these? And he answered, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So these are warring nations or tribes that have attacked Israel, pictured as a horn. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. These are, uh, you know, builders. And I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no man lifts up his head. But these craftsmen have come to terrify them, to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. Perhaps angelic beings who would war against the forces against Israel, perhaps uh, leaders that are raised up uh, to uh, carry out that war in the human realm. You know, as I read this, God has great promises of redemption and restoration. He's always crying for repentance. God's timing in His prophetic voice is really important. If you read uh, Jeremiah, for example, uh, one of the false prophets, Jeremiah said, he put a yoke on his shoulders and said, Calamity's coming, and everyone living in the city is going to be led away with yokes. And another prophet came along and took the yoke off of Jeremiah and said, No, 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 this yoke's going to be broken, and we're going to be okay. And uh, Jeremiah said, You know, you're not going to live. Uh, and the guy died within like seven months. It was a false prophecy because the timing was wrong. Um, God makes clear that judgment does fall sometimes. People won't turn back unless we go through some difficult periods. I say sometimes all people can be that way. All of us have had moments that are what I would call self-induced, really difficult times from the Lord. And from that, we've grown through the difficulty. We've repented. We've changed our ways. That's part of the Christian journey. So don't lose heart. If you're in one of those seasons, uh, learn by it. God will surround you with people to help build you up. I believe that we're in a time like that in our nation. I personally don't believe we're at the end time. I could be wrong about that. That's not a word from the Lord, but I don't think so. I think God does intend ultimately to redeem. He still has revival purposes for this nation. Uh, but we're going to have to go through some self-induced difficulties uh, because of choices we have made and are making. I came along and was in college studying economics in the uh, early, late 70s, early 80s. And so I, I studied. I lived it. I know what causes inflation. I know how devastating it can be. I also know what works to bring you out from under uh, inflation. 
what's being done right now makes it much worse. It's not the solution. It's like telling someone with cirrhosis of the liver that they should drink a quart of whiskey every day. That's not how you deal with cirrhosis of the liver. And what we're doing now as inevitably as throwing a rock out of a window makes inflation worse. Inflation is a devastating regressive tax on the poor and lower middle class. It's a very cynical tool that's been used many, many times by the ultra-wealthy proclaiming to be doing good for everyone. Um, And it's a horrible thing, and I believe we're going to have to experience some of that before people realize this doesn't work. I pray that we will realize quickly and turn back to what works, which is God's ways. Amen. So, reading this chapter, though, uh, an odd thing jumped out at me. And it's just from the Lord. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 8, I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse. And I've, you know, for a good long while, I thought that's probably Jesus, representative of the cross. He rides the red horse, uh, and it brings peace. Praise God. And he was standing among the myrtle trees. I don't know, folks. I, that myrtle tree just jumped out at me. Myrtle tree. I don't know. So I got my phone out and started looking at myrtle trees. Now, we know if you live in the Georgia area, we're, we're in Athens, Georgia today, crepe myrtles are a very beautiful, popular tree. That's actually not the same tree as being spoken of here. Uh, this tree is called the Myrtus communis, and it's an evergreen tree um, that uh, grows in uh, dry places where there's some uh, water, so it can grow in dry soil. Uh, so you're going to find it in southern regions. Really, uh, South Georgia would be a place that it grows. Uh, where it gets some water. but um, So here's a description from a uh, Bible plant website. The myrtle is an attractive shrub. It's an evergreen. It has evergreen leaves, unlike the, uh, the, uh, the crepe myrtle. Uh, the Bible myrtle tree is an evergreen. It grows up to 24 feet in height. It's fragrant, small white flower, which is a picture of the purity of of Christ are produced in the middle of the summer. That's Pentecost is when this uh, tree blooms. That's all significant as I was reading it. It was ministering to me. The entire plant contains a fragrant oil. Like so many other Bible plants, the myrtle is the only representative of its family in Israel. It's uh, uh, related to the eucalyptus plant. And as a result, like the eucalyptus, it has many healing properties that I'll uh, share uh, you know, and um, it's mentioned in the Bible. Its first reference is Nehemiah 8.15 in reference to the Feast of Tabernacles. And it said they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and shade trees to make uh, to olive and wild olive trees from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make booths as it is written. And so, interestingly, Leviticus, when it talks about the Feast of Booths, does not include the myrtle tree. But here in Nehemiah, uh, among the things they were supposed to get in the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem is the myrtle tree. There's a prophetic connection here. I wonder if with the palm branches that were being waved in Jesus' day, if there weren't any 
myrtle branches also being waved, perhaps, because it's authorized here. And then it's referenced in Isaiah 41.19 and 55.13 as a picture of uh, revival. Uh, and it, it, you know, is a fragrant shrub associated with uh, water courses. And then, of course, this site mentions Zechariah uh, 1, 8 through 11 that we just read, uh, humble beauty and fragrance. But I think there's more to it, although the site certainly helped me. There's healing properties with the myrtle tree uh, for centuries. Since ancient times, people take myrtle for treating lung infections, including bronchitis, whooping cough, tuberculosis, for bladder conditions, diarrhea, persistent heartburn, uh, and various other things. It's used on the skin for sores and so forth. So there's healing properties to the myrtle tree, the myrtle bush. Praise the Lord. And then uh, Isaiah at, uh, mentions it twice in uh, Isaiah 41. Uh, it is mentioned at 19 as a picture of revival. It's talking about the wilderness of uh, Israel and the dry land. And verse 18 says, I'll open rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shittah tree, and the myrtle, and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree and the pine and the box tree together, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this, and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. So there's a picture of revival represented in, among other things, the myrtle tree. And then again at uh, Isaiah 55, Isaiah 55:13, a similar image is given. Uh, uh, for as the rain comes down, the snow from heaven, at verse 10, and return not thither. Well, let's back up. This is a great passage. <clears throat> verse 6 of Isaiah 55. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's always God's promise, promise. As we return to the Lord, he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't always understand what God is doing. I was talking about how God is bringing holy order to all this disorder. That's what praying in tongues is all about, actually. It seems like disorder, but in the prayer closet, it's actually bringing God's holy order to a disordered word. The orderliness of the word is actually God's disorder, and the seeming disorder of things like praying in tongues and the leadings of the Holy Spirit are actually God's order. The mystery is great. Verse 10, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not there, but watereth the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Remember, I began this series of messages with Jeremiah chapter 1, where he's anointed, and God said he would fill his mouth with his words. That's the prophetic call of the church in these days, that we would speak God's kingdom word, and it would bring forth and sprout in our lives and the lives of those we speak to. Verse 
twelve. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands instead of the thorn. That's the, that's the wicked unbeliever. Uh, instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. That's uh, eternal life, resurrection life, newness of life. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. Glory to God. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And so I looked up the Hebrew name for myrtle. Why in the world I did that, I don't know. I just did. And it is Hadessa. Hadessa. Boy, I feel like I remember that. Hadessa. Oh, Lord my God. That is the Hebrew name of the woman Esther. Forty years after this prophecy, God raised up in the uh, kingdom of Persia a woman named Esther. The, The Esther name was her Persian name. It means hidden. Oh, oh! I just started getting flooded. Hidden. Her real name is Myrtle. Esther. Her real name is Myrtle. Hadessa. Oh, so within this lady is this resurrection life, this renewal, this revival. She's planted out in a wilderness land, Persia, among unbelieving Persians. That's where she is. She's called into this Gentile court to be the bride of the king. Uh, Hadessa, hidden. Esther, hidden. Oh, Lord my God. And there's healing in it. There's redemption. This is where the man on the red horse is seated amongst the myrtle trees. That's where the power of the cross is working. That brought me to remembrance of Romans uh, chapter uh, Romans chapter 2 and uh, there's a great picture here for us. This is the uh, promise of the prophetic word in our lives that, that God remembers His promises. Uh, if you turn to Romans 2 at 28 it says this, For he's not a Jew who is one outwardly nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. It's the hidden quality of the heart, it says in another place in the scriptures. Uh, the, the godly woman is the hidden quality of the heart. Oh, praise God. This is so Esther is representative of the salvation of the Gentiles who are inward Jews, externally appear to be part of the Gentile world, the Gentile court, but inwardly we are all uh, true Jews by the circumcision of Christ, by the Spirit of the living God. All that's going on in this prophecy of Zechariah 40 years before Esther even comes on the scene. And what's Esther called to do? Well, she is, uh, you know, appears secretly. She's called to be in the court. She's keeping her identity hidden, but it can't be hidden. God remembers. His timing's perfect. He knows what He told Zechariah 40 years before. And the salvation, the return, the redemption begins to unfold among the myrtle trees among this lady Hadessa 
the inward Jew who externally is a Gentile. That's all of us. This is all the life of Esther is a picture of the church and our calling in these days. So all of Zechariah 1 is being fulfilled in that. Praise God. And what happens? Uh, she's called to make a stand. Uh, the anti-Semitic Haman, who's a picture of Satan himself, sets out to destroy the Jews, the people of God, which in these days would include the church as well as the Jewish people. And uh, her uncle comes to her and says, you're called for just, who knows, if you're not called into royalty for such a time as this, that you would come before the king. God the Father is a picture of the king over the whole world to make intercession for uh, the Jewish people. And she does that at risk of her own life. She comes before the Lord. And Haman is hanged on his own gallows, which is a picture, of course, of Satan thinking he claimed a victory at the cross when actually he brought his own defeat in the salvation of the world. As uh, mankind sought to reject Jesus, they actually uh, brought salvation through the grace of God. And so in Zechariah uh, chapter 1, we have a great picture and these three horses, the, the remaining horses, is fascinating here. It says, there were with him in the ring red, sorrel, and white horses behind him. A sorrel horse, when you go into the actual Hebrew, is more in the nature of a um, uh, reddish-brown, whitish horse. Um, and it, it's not a, a spotted horse. So it's uh, red on a backdrop of white, so it's a lighter color uh, maybe bay or chestnut. Uh, the horse secretariat was said to be such a horse as that. And this is a picture of the red, uh, the cross, the white, the purity of Christ. And the sorrel horse is the blending of those two at the cross. The purity of Christ and the blood of Christ receiving the sin of mankind in His pure body as a pure sacrifice bringing the reconciliation that produces the myrtle tree, praise God, that is the saved Gentile, the inward Jew, both Jew and Gentile, body of Christ, that in the wilderness land brings the resurrection of the myrtle tree. Oh, it's a, a feast of booze that where God is among us. We call Him Father, praise God, and He uh, will dwell among us, and He will be our God, and we shall be His people. Praise God, that is the promise of the Feast of Booze. That's the promise of the Myrtle Tree. That's the promise of Esther. Praise the Lord. And how is this all accomplished? Well, you know, an amazing thing is if you read chapter 2, God says that they should flee Babylon, come back to the land to rebuild the temple, and uh, that He will be a wall of fire around Jerusalem. There will be no borders. Praise God. And then when you get to chapter 3, you see Joshua the high priest, and uh, he's in dirty clothing in this vision. And then, praise God, uh, that Satan is accusing him. And then, uh, praise the Lord, the Lord spoke and said in verse 4 of chapter 3 of Zechariah, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again, he said to him, See, I've taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said to him, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing there. This is the high priest Joshua in this vision. 
And the man's name really was Joshua, Yeshua, at the time of Zechariah. He was high priest. He was wearing dirty garments. And this high priest, Yeshua, is uh, uh, clean clothes is put on him and a clean turban and a crown is put on his head. Praise God. And this is a picture of the cross as all the accusations of Satan against mankind are received in the dirty garments on the priest, our great high priest, Jesus, Yeshua. And uh, he receives the clean garments and gives them to us. This is the iniquity that's taken away in one day is what the prophets promise. And uh, so, uh, verse 3 of verse 8 this is what Zechariah the prophet spoke to Joshua the high priest there in 520 B.C. or so when he was ministering. Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you indeed, they are men who are a symbol. In other words, this is prophetic. Everything that's happening in these days is prophetic of things to come. I wonder if that's true in our lives too, if there are things that don't happen that are prophetic, that are giving meaning to something more. God, give us eyes to see. Uh, behold, I'm going to bring in my servant, the branch. In other words, Joshua, the high priest in 520 B.C., your representative symbolic of a man, my servant, the branch that Jeremiah spoke of. He's a branch of the Lord. For behold, the stone that I've set before Joshua on one stone or seven eyes, behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts. Verse 9 of Zechariah 3 and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Oh, when the great high priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, takes on the dirty garments of mankind, and then the Father replaces them with the white garments of salvation. And that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Praise the Lord. And so Esther became part of the fulfillment of this prophecy and a further prophetic action. Her life became a prophecy of things to come. And that's what he's calling us to in these days, that in our own actions, in our own deeds, in our own words, we will be speaking forth, bringing forth kingdom truth as we walk in obedience, as we obey the visions and dreams that God is giving us as we speak into them. God is doing a great work of redemption. Praise God. Let's give thanks to God. Father, we worship you and praise you and give you thanks. Lord, we thank you that your word is a unity. It is whole. The plans you have for us were formed before the foundation of the world. You knew all about Esther. You knew all about Zechariah. You knew all about Joshua the high priest. You knew all about us. And you have a plan for our lives. And God, we you remember God You remember your promises and we want to fit into your plan, into your prophetic flow. Again, Luke 7.30 says, The Pharisees and lawyers rejected God's purposes for themselves, not having been baptized in the baptism of John. Lord, we, we don't want to reject your purposes for our lives. You have a plan and a purpose to fit us in the right spot, just like you did Esther. Lord, we want to fit in that perfect spot. Who knows? If we haven't been raised up to royalty, the royalty of God for just such a time as this, as we are in the Gentile world, secretly, inwardly, you were your people, Jews, and at the right time, Lord, spiritual Jews, you tell us to step forth and to speak and to act to bring you glory, whether by life or by death. Lord, 
We pray that you would give us that boldness. You would give us that courage, that courage of Esther, Lord, that we would, like Esther, fulfill the prophetic promise of our lives, that we would accomplish the purposes you foreordained for each of our lives, that we would be part of the great symphony that you are orchestrating in these days to bring revival to this dry wilderness land. Lord, that we would be a planting of the Lord, that we would plant the resurrection life of the eternal kingdom in these days, that you would revive our land and our world, that you would wake up America and bring revival to our shores. One more time we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.